0: has become over the years more and more meaningful to me. But Luke 24, I've preached on this passage many times across the years, but Luke 24, I want to begin here with verse 13. And I'm reading this morning from the English Standard Version. I invite you to stand as we uh, receive this word together. May God at his blessing may we be encouraged by it today. Because on that very first resurrection day, Luke reports of this happened That very day, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures?" And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. May God have his blessing. Please, you can be seated. I want you to imagine with me that walk. To Emmaus, two men just want to get out of town. Imagine if you had bet everything on Jesus. You, you believed he was the Messiah. He was such a great teacher. He seemed so very close to God. You believed he was God's answer to oppression and violence and was going to restore God's kingdom to the earth. So you followed him. A week ago, crowds were praising him in the streets, but things changed so very quickly. He was soon arrested and beaten, put on trial, finally crucified between two thieves. For these two men, it was over. But to make it even worse, some women have apparently concocted a story of an empty tomb and even suggested that he was risen again. And so for these two, it's time to get out of Jerusalem. It's time to to move on. It's time to walk. Depressed, confused. Maybe a little bit afraid. I mean, after all, if the Jewish and Roman authorities had crucified Christ, what might they do with his followers? So these two men head toward the village of Emmaus. Now, the Bible tells us it's about a seven-mile trek from Jerusalem. But they're thinking the walk will clear their heads. They can start to get on with their lives. They can figure out what's next. Now, I don't know about some of you, but I suspect that there are a lot of them in this room who like to walk who, 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 who like the exercise, who, who love the opportunity to go hiking. We have some excellent trails here in the Cleveland area, the Rocky River Reservation right behind the church, uh, the Metro Park system. In a couple of weeks, uh, I'm headed to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Have you ever noticed that when you hit the trail, it's not uncommon for there to be a sign that, that gives you some instructions? some tips to help you on your journey. It might tell you how far it is. It might tell you where it leads. It's, it's to help you enjoy the walk. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game posted one of these signs on their trail. It was advising hikers and hunters and campers to be on the alert for bears while hiking. It said, we advise, and, and I'm quoting here, we advise that hikers wear noisy little bells on their clothing so as not to stumble on a bear and startle him, and also to carry pepper spray in case of an encounter with a bear. Now that makes sense to me, you know, uh, some bells, uh, some pepper spray. It went on to say, quote, It's also a good idea to watch for fresh signs of bear activity. Trail walkers should recognize the difference between black bear and grizzly bear droppings. Black bear droppings are smaller and contain lots of berries and squirrel fur. Grizzly bear droppings have little bells in it and smell like pepper. <laughs> now, while these men were were walking, something unexpected happened. Now, now you know that they were not interested in talking to a stranger. Can you imagine The last thing they wanted to do was was have a conversation with someone. Now, now if you're depressed, maybe, and you're hurting, maybe you want to talk to an intimate friend, but the stranger is the last person you want to talk to on your walk. And so when this stranger comes alongside and asks, what are you talking about? I notice that they're almost rude. Where have you been? Are you the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about these things concerning Jesus of Nazareth? We hoped he would redeem Israel. And what makes it harder is that we have these women who've concocted the story of an empty tomb, but we weren't born yesterday. We're not quite that gullible, so we decided it's just best to get out of town. And so these men thought their walk would end in Emmaus. But isn't it interesting that sometimes God has a way of turning us around? I want you to know this morning... Maybe you come into this place with a preconceived notion that you're going to hear some music and hear a sermon that's way too long, but be aware. Sometimes God shows up. And this morning, this journey may not end like you thought it would. I'm glad to tell you this morning that the stock market is up. We uh, have been told that uh, we just enjoyed the uh, first quarter, the best first quarter in the stock market since 1998. But I also want you to know that since uh, for 2,000 years, people have never gathered together to say the stock market has risen, it's risen indeed. Because you and I know that that could all fall tomorrow. The economists and politicians tout employment figures. More people working than ever before. Yet we do not declare employment has risen. It is risen indeed. No, that is not our creed. This is what we believe. This morning, for 2,000 years, people have come together to proclaim that two men, as they were walking to Emmaus, that while they talked to a stranger, after he explained the scriptures to them and broke the bread for them, their eyes were opened, they saw Jesus, they knew he was alive, and so they found themselves turning around as they discovered this one amazing, astounding, beautiful truth. He is risen, they said. And they went to the others back in Jerusalem. They ran back to Jerusalem and proclaimed, He has risen indeed. Now, that word indeed, I want you to think about that for a moment. Other translations render it, It's true, it's true. In other words, there was a premise. There was a presupposition that He had not risen, that He was not alive that he was in the tomb. But these two men discovered, to their intense surprise, he really is alive. He is risen. Indeed. I want you to know that 2,000 years ago, they knew all about death. They knew what it was like. They, They knew what it meant. The ancients knew that dead is dead. But they also knew that the strangest thing happened, Jesus, who had died, began to appear to people, to responsible people, to people who weren't crazy, to Mary Magdalene in the garden, to the disciples, to these guys on the road to Emmaus. Paul, a few years later, would be writing to the Corinthian church, and he wrote these words. He said, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters, most of whom are still living yet. In other words, I invite you to go talk to them. You don't write those words unless you know that they're going to back it up. Charles Colson once served in President Nixon's White House, and he went to prison for his, his work and connection to the Watergate scandal. He said this. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. They proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten or tortured, stoned, put in prison. They would not have endured it if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 people could do it for 40 years? That's impossible. You see, there's only one explanation that accounts for an overnight transformation of an impoverished, confused, frightened little group of people into a courageous, emboldened community that would sacrifice everything and anything, including their lives to turn a world upside down, and that is this. They actually believed he is risen. He is risen indeed. So here's the question for us this morning. If he really got up out of that tomb, if he really is alive, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for you? One of the things it seems to me that that means, is that your past is not unforgivable. Your past is not unforgivable. Now, I've preached on this passage for many, many years, but all of a sudden I saw something that I'd never seen before. I noticed that when these two disciples raced back to Jerusalem to give their report, they announced that he has risen indeed, and then they said this, he has appeared... To Simon, I thought, "Well, wait a second, there—that's rather curious. Who is Simon? Of course, well, it's Simon Peter. Peter was the—the—the the, the, Peter was the nickname that Jesus had given Simon. It meant, ironically, rock. How did they know that he appeared to Simon? The only thing I can figure is that the resurrected Jesus had told them he had appeared to Simon. But why Simon Peter?" Well, you remember what Peter had just done. He swore that he would never deny Jesus, but he denied him three times. Simon was a complete and utter failure. And yet Jesus appeared to him. That's a reminder to me. You see, our sin does not get the last word. Your past, no matter how reprehensible is not unforgivable. There's nothing you can do. There's no matter what you've done, Christ's sacrifice on the cross covers it. The apostle Paul said, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's that's you, that's me. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. My friends, nothing you've ever done is so dark, is so big that it's beyond God's ability to cleanse and forgive because of what Christ did on Calvary. Christ died for you. His sin, his, 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 uh, his sacrifice paid the price for your sins. And he rose again so he could spend eternity with you. Remember this he appeared to Simon. Your past is not unforgivable. But it seems to me the resurrection means something else. It means that there is a power available like none other. In Ephesians, Paul writes in chapter 1, listen to this. He says, I pray, and I love the wording here because it harkens back to what we see in Luke 24. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and listen to this, in his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. So the power that raised Christ, Paul says, I would pray that you would know that power in your life. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul takes this very personally to himself. He says it simply, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. He says, my prayer in my own life is that I would know Christ and know the power of his resurrection in me. And so, the question that I've been grappling with and I ask you is do you know that power this morning in your life? Here's the point it's not a question then of whether or not God will give you his power, he will. It's not a question whether you have access to his power. You do. It's not a question or whether or not you are able to live in his power. You can. The question is do you this morning know that power? Do you know it personally and really? You know, one of the observations I would make is that there are way too many people who live as Christians. They they put their faith in Christ. They believe something happened maybe 2,000 years ago in history. They have a hope of something might happen when I die. But in the meantime, while they're living here on this earth, too many Christians live with a sense of, of, of fatigue. They live with a sense of defeat. But they don't realize the power of, they already have. All oh, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Earlier this week, I posted on Facebook this. I simply said, help me out a little, because I need a lot of help. But I said, help me out a little. Fill in this phrase. And then I said, by the power of God, I... And I got over 70 responses just like that in just a couple of hours. I want to just share some of those with you as testimonies to this power. By the power of God, I will love others regardless of their faults. By the power of God, I'm going to treat others as God has treated me. By the power of God, I am able to forgive. Boy, that was a, that was a common theme. A lot of woundedness, a lot of hurt. By the power of God, I can forgive others. By the power of God, I have gotten through the darkest times of my life. By the power of God, I've beaten addiction. Praise him. By the power of God, I have overcome things I never imagined would be part of my story. By the power of God, I stand. By the power of God, I've been healed. By the power of God, I am saved. And on and on and on. A century ago, there was a man named Charles Steinmetz, and he worked for General Electric. Charles was a, a, an absolute genius. He knew every detail of every part of every machine that was operating in those days. And when he retired, when he left the company, sometimes they were just clueless about what to do when something broke down in the plant. And so, because they had learned to depend on him so heavily. Well, one time they had a malfunction that nobody could solve, and so they called him up, and he came in, and he looked at the machine for five minutes. He took out a piece of chalk, marked an X on the defective part so that they, they could replace it, and he went home. Five days later, they get a bill from Charles Steinmetz for $10,000. It, it was an incredible sum even in those days, especially thinking that it was just for five minutes. So they thought, well, l- l- let's have him itemize his bill. So they asked him, would you please just itemize your bill? They thought that might change his tune. So a few days later, he sent them back a bill with two lines, two items. It, it read, making a chalk mark, $1. Knowing where to put it, $9,999. <laughs> do in my life when things break down your marriage falls apart you mess up as a parent you screw up in a way that embarrasses you and maybe your family you get trapped in deceit you get greedy and destroy your business or you get hooked on addiction and the end is humiliation Who do you call? Jesus. Know his power. He is risen indeed. But the resurrection means something else too. The resurrection means that your future is not at risk. You know, no matter what happens, when you follow Jesus, your future is not up for grabs. One of my favorite characters in history, and some of you know this, is Winston Churchill. Winston was famous for a running battle uh, with a, a lady named Lady Astor. Very difficult. They had a difficult relationship. And no matter what she said, he always had a retort, a comeback. One time, for instance, she said to him, Mr. Churchill, if you were my husband, I'd put poison in your coffee. And his response, of course, was Lady Astor, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. <laughs> he, was a, he was that kind of a guy, you know. Another time they were fighting, and Lady Astor said, Mr. Churchill, I believe you're drunk. And he responded, Lady Astor, I know you're ugly. And in the morning, I'll be sober, but in the morning, you'll still be ugly. That was the kind of relationship they had. Now, if you know anything about Winston Churchill, you know that he led the Allies against the Nazis. He defeated them. He was a master at speaking. He warned us of the Iron Curtain, and he argued with Lady Astor. But Winston Churchill could not defeat death. He died as an old man, but he planned his funeral. And I love this picture because at the end of his funeral, after the benediction had been pronounced, before the people left... Churchill had a bugler put high up in the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral. You, You can imagine that fabulous edifice. And the bugler began to play at the end of his funeral. The song taps, the universal song. Day is done, night has come. And so when that last note died, everyone thought, well, the service is over. But then on the other side of the dome, another bugler took his place and began to play Reveille, the song of the morning. It's time to get up, it's time to get up, a new day has dawned. Now, why did he do that? He believed because one day the greatest man who ever lived said, I am the resurrection and the light. Now, Churchill was a remarkable guy. He was a hero for the ages. But Churchill never once said, I am the resurrection and the life. Only Jesus said that. We don't like death. When someone dies, we, we use all kinds of euphemisms. We say he passed or she's no longer with us. We don't like the word death. When when you're lying in a casket, I want you to think about this. What is it that you want people to say? Oh, she was a a godly person. He was a committed husband. He loved his kids. When they walk past my casket, I want them to say, Look, he's moving. That's what I want to hear. But we don't know how to handle death. But I want you to know Jesus does. Does death make Jesus nervous? Not a bit. Why? Because he's died. Went through it. Conquered it. John 11 reminds us, Jesus' words, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus says, because I have conquered death, you too can conquer death. He has already taken on himself the worst that death can do, and he beat it. He is risen. He's risen indeed. So the question becomes then, how do we get to be a part of that resurrection? Now, the truth is, in our culture, people have a lot of misinformation about this. But let me give you some plans that are out there. One plan is, to be quite honest, just be perfect. God is perfect. And and the truth is, if you would be perfect, if you never sin, if you never tell a lie, if you never have a lustful thought, if you're never greedy, if you're not selfish, you'll be fine. But most of us, all of us, well, we haven't done so well in that department. Truth is, we need another plan. Some people think, well, I just need to be good enough. I I believe there's a God. I believe there's life after death. I think the way that we get in is to be good enough. If I go to church enough, if I, I, I give enough to charity, if I volunteer enough, if I just do more good things than I do bad, then I'll be good enough to get in. The problem is, is that God is not a good enough God. He's a perfect God. The good enough plan isn't going to work good enough to get me into heaven. Other people think, well, I'll try the comparison plan. The idea here is, I think, well, God will judge me on the curve. And when I compare myself with others, I'll be okay, If you're on the comparison plan, the idea is that on Judgment Day, you're hoping that you're standing in line behind someone like Osama bin Laden. And compared to him, you're going to look great. But what if you're not? What if instead you're standing behind Mother Teresa? And God says, I'm sorry, Mother Teresa, you weren't good enough to make the cut. Next, what do we do then? See, we need another plan. And God came up with another plan. It's called grace. It's called grace. I can't live a perfect life. I can't. But Jesus did. He lived the perfect life. And because He took my death on the cross, He says, You can have my life. You can take. My credit. He took my death. I take his life. But here's the thing you can know all of that and still miss it because one other thing is required. You have to say yes. A number of years ago, I took my uh, Mary, my girlfriend at the time, to Kings Island. It was Winter Fest for her birthday. And there came a moment on that evening when I asked her to reach into my coat pocket, and she pulled out a ring box. She opened it, and I said to her, Mary, will you be my wife? She asked if the the ring was real, and after I told her, yes, it was, she agreed and said, yes, she would marry me. Now, what you need to know is this morning is our day. And it is real. There's a blood-stained cross. An empty tomb. A risen Savior. And God has done all of this for you. And Jesus, God says, Will you be my child? I'll be your guide. I'll be your friend. I'll be your Savior. I'll be your Lord. But you have to to receive the gift. You have to acknowledge, yes, I need a Savior. Thank you for saving me through the cross and the resurrection and help me the rest of my days through the power of the resurrection to live my life for you. So my friends, are you headed back to Jerusalem? This is your day. May your eyes be open. Pray. Lord, it was in the breaking of bread that the reality of the resurrection became so real to these disciples. I think, Lord, that when they saw the nail pierced hands of the one who was sharing the bread with them as their hearts stirred with what you taught them through the scriptures they suddenly realized lord how good you were they suddenly realized their eyes and our hearts were open to the idea that lord you were really alive and you had come to have relationship with them lord this morning we proclaim that you are risen indeed and my prayer is this that lord it wouldn't just come off of our mouths but it would be a part of our very person. Because you are alive, we are alive forevermore because we put our trust, our hope, our faith in you. And Lord, if someone today does not know you, has not yet said yes to your gift, this grace plan that you offer each of us, I pray that this would be the moment, this would be the day, and they would say yes to your great salvation offered through the life, death, and and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your concern for us. Thank you for even now reaching out to us. May we walk out of this place different than when we came in, knowing Christ and the power of the resurrection. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.